This morning's reading is Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Bekar, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favour on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk, whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Hola, buenos dias amigos. Oh, sorry. I'm back. Josh, come and join me. Oh, he gets the cheer and I just, I get nothing. Hola. 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 Hola, Al. Yeah. Hola, Larry. Very good. Como estas? Yeah, that one. <laughs> Uh, in our emphases of towards 2025, we've been looking at a number of things, and today we're looking at the importance of, uh, uh, for the next two weeks, our worship as we gather together on a, on a weekly basis, our worship services. So I thought no better place to start than our person who is being tasked with the job of helping to shape and form and develop our worship services, our Pastor Josh, gets another cheer. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> So, Josh, besides working with me, what's the best part of your job? It's pretty hard to top, but I've made a I list. I wrote these questions. No. Uh, no um, yes, working with, you, working with you is an incredible uh, yeah, honour. Yeah, yeah. No, it really is. Um, to be able to sit under your leadership and your wisdom and your vision, it's, it's such an honour and, and a blessing to me at a weekly, throughout the week sort of level. So, it, I do admit... It's good to work under Larry. <laughs> um, but also, you know, working with wonderful godly people like Ben, Jess, Wendy, Kathy, Amy before, it's just such a, a privilege and such an encouragement to, to me and, and my faith. Uh, and then beyond that, working with such an incredible team of, of talented and generous and kind volunteers that, that make this place work and tick from week to week is, is such an honour and a privilege as well. And so that gives me a great sense of joy. Uh, and beyond that, you know, one of... One of my love languages is, is acts of service, and so I, I consider this role not just as leading my team, um, but also serving the church, serving you, um, and serving the wider body of Christ. And so if acts of service is one of my love languages, I, I love what I do on a Sunday. Um, and I've said it many times, I consider this church as my family, um, and I love serving my family. So I love what I do. Very good. 
so why do you think you've been tasked with a very specific role? Why do you think your role as uh, our music pastor, uh, helping me design and make sure our worship works on Sundays, why, uh, why do you think that role is important? Thanks. So, yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I think my role is important because uh, gathering together and the musical aspect of worship, it's biblical, and if stewarded well, is incredibly powerful. And if not stewarded well, can be incredibly divisive. Um, I think there's three key things that happen in corporate praise and worship when we gather to sing. Um, and the first thing is, is that worship, it grounds us. It, it says, reminds us that God is holy and, and, and we're here to worship him. That he is the creator, we are his creation. And we are That's incredibly important. That is incredible. I think that gets overlooked in some circles. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, uh, I'm a big fan of Francis Chan. He's another banana like myself. Um, for those who don't know the term, look it up. <laughs> um, but I'm a big fan of Francis Chan. He's got an incredible mind. And he, he said that worship asks the question, what do I bow to? And that's why it's on the front cover of your news about this week. It asks the question, what do I bow to? And that's a deeply profound question um, that encapsulates every aspect of our lives. Does the way I use my time say that I bow to God? Does the way I steward my finances give God glory? Do my conversations reflect that I love Jesus? You know? and through the week, we can be so caught up in our, in our pursuits of our endeavors and work and family life and things like that. But when we gather, we... Here on Sunday, we collectively sing, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. At the cross, I bow my knee. Here I I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say, you're my God. So firstly, worship grounds us, which I think is incredibly powerful, incredibly important. The second key thing that happens when we gather here um, is it builds unity. Um, It's one of the few things that we do collectively as a whole church, from the youngest of First Steps members, Amaria and Jess and Rosie up the back there, to living legends like Laurie Thomas and Betty Wakeley. That's one of the few things that we get to do collectively, Mm -hmm. and that builds unity. It's incredibly powerful. Um, We sing songs like Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, you know, Save a Wretch Like Me. It's it's so amazing that, that we can do that as a whole community. And then wider than that, it's, it's not just us as a church, but we get to partner with our brothers and sisters across the globe that gather together as well, that proclaim the same song, that worship God, that set who he is, that he is holy and recognize that. And then beyond that, the Bible says that in Psalm 66, all of creation declares his praise. And so we get to be united with each other and with all of God's creation and think that aspect of musical worship is incredibly powerful. The third thing um, that happens in corporate worship is, is deep learning. Uh, the, the musical centers of our brain are closely embedded to the memory centers of our brain, and God designed us in that way. Mm-hmm. So when we sing, we're recalling scripture mm-hmm. and song. Yeah. We're recalling yeah. key moments in our life when the song resonated mm-hmm. with us and got us through a tough time. It, it reminds us of God's mercy, of his goodness, and things like that. Um, but beyond that, it's also like... on a global level, all cultures actually pass on history, culture through song, from the Jewish you know, recitals of the Torah, that it's actually sung to, to recite the Torah, um, to indigenous dream time, where they sing the stories of the past. And, and I think it's a great thing that we as a church get to do to collectively pass on the culture from one generation to the next, um, 
each week. So there are three, three pretty amazing things that happen. Um, and then I believe a church's doctrine and uh, culture is often reflected in their praise and worship. Um, so I consider my role as upholding the, the, the key values of our church and what we believe um, and the vision of you and the eldership. And so in addition to all those three things and that, I'd say my role is fairly important. <laughs> I think we would agree with that. I think you're doing a very good job, by the way. I think you're doing a very good job. Um, now, we've noticed that when we look at statistics, um, and we're all very aware of that as a staff level, and we're probably anecdotally aware of it, that there is in uh, the Western church and in Australia... Uh, the frequency of people attending church is less. The number of people, if you look at the whole picture, there are some exceptions, of course. If you look at the whole picture, uh, less people go to the church than what they did 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And the frequency of people going to church is less. Uh, Churches of Christ were known uh, for going twice on a Sunday. How many people remember the twice on a Sunday and then the afternoon thing? So you go in the morning, in the evening, go to the gospel service. Yeah. We've got some older people here. Uh, and so now we find that when we look at McCrindle's statistics, people are, you know, if you go once a month, yeah. you're kind of considered, that's my church and I'm pretty regular. Yeah. Oh. Mm. What, do you make, what do you make of this trend that you, you, you see around that, that we struggle with as a church, to be honest, but we're, we're, we and every church in Australia uh, is having that same sort of pressure not sure where it comes from or what it means, but what do you make of it all? Yeah, that's, that's a huge question. That, that, that's massive. Um, and I think, yeah, looking at statistics is a good way and looking at research is a great way to, to kind of analyse that, that question. And um, McCrindle Research said that, like, even though 45% of Australians apparently identify as Christian and, and, and would regularly go to church, um, yeah, those rates are dropping. Um, and they said that the, the top three repellents to a person's spirituality, um, or to a person's openingness, openness to spirituality, are f- philosophical discussion and debating of ideas, miraculous stories, and hearing from public figures and celebrities who are examples of faith. Um, I, I think that many Christians, and myself included, you know, until having to do this research and to, to wrestle with this question, aren't really aware of that. We're not aware. And, and we think that um, you know, having these deep philosophical apologetic debates, you know, um, sharing miraculous stories and, and testimonies from public figures and celebrities might be great evangelistic avenues. And I believe in some instances they still are and can be. There's mm-hmm. definitely a place for that. Um, but the statistics don't lie. It's just what they found. And I think that we might be actually doing more repelling than we are attracting at times. Mm-hmm. Um, I also agree with what Pastor Jess said the other week in terms of... Um, that current day culture bows to convenience. Um, we'll do what we can if it conveniences us. And I think that that convenience culture has sort of impacted the way that modern day Christians, and I'm also not exempt to this, you know, um, mm-hmm. we, the way that we live out our lives. And then that has subsequent impacts on individuals' church attendances. You know, well, I'll come to church if it conveniences me rather oh, than yeah. mm-hmm. my top priority is to gather and to worship God okay. because he is holy, mm-hmm. he's God, and he deserves it. Um, but conversely, it's interesting when you look at those statistics and the research as well, it says that the top three attractors to spirituality 
are seeing people, number one, seeing people live out a genuine faith. Mm -hmm. Number two, experiencing trauma or a personal life event. And stories or testimonies of people who have changed due to their faith. The number one attractor is living out a genuine faith. I think, yes, love thy neighbor is a huge part of it. But Jesus also said, love the Lord your God first before it, you know. And so I think part, a big part of loving the Lord is gathering as a church uh, and being part of a church regularly to worship him. So think of it as an attracting level thing as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, so live the life and be an attractional uh, person like that. Mm. Um, so why do you feel the gathering together, in our case on Sundays, uh, the churches meet at different times as well, is important? I mean, just can't you just worship God wherever you are? Can't you just like... You know, I worship God and I'm out walking and why do I need to go to church on a Sunday? Why can't I just do my own thing and just be like out there with the Lord? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you can. Technically, you can. I mean, it's like the Bible says that uh, in 1 Corinthians 6 that we have the Holy Spirit within us. So it's true. And God is an omnipresent God. So wherever you are, you can worship. And there's, for some people, um, you know, there are certain circumstances in place where they actually physically can't be here, you know, whether it is, whatever it might be. And, and for them, I hope they find great comfort and knowledge knowing that they carry the Holy Spirit with them, that they can worship God wherever they are. Mm-hmm. But it also says, you know, in Hebrews 10, it says, let us hold unswervingly to the f- hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Mm. Gathering together is a biblical mandate Mm. from Hebrews 10. I like how the writer used the word habit, though. Yeah, yeah. In terms of, like, some habits... Don't give up the habit. So the assumption is we are in a habit. Our habit is to do that. So he says, please... Now that you're in the habit, you do, you worship, you gather habitually. Yeah. Uh, please don't give up that habit of being habitual in your worship. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And so I think that's definitely true. And habits, habits are hard to break. So if you're in the habit of regularly gathering, it's a hard thing to break. But then habits do form over time, you know? Little things, a little compromise here, a little compromise there. That does happen. But it, the, I love how the writer says, yeah, don't give up the habit. Mm. It encourages us to, to maintain it. Mm. Mm. And it's easy to get into the habit of not going, mm. not gathering, not seeing our focus as to gather to worship the Lord as he deserves and to build each other up and spur each other onto love and good works. Mm. We can get into the habit of not coming, and that's a hard habit to break. Yeah. Uh, and coming back yeah, uh, true. to be a part of the, uh, of the body of Christ. Yeah. I, um, I also spoke earlier to my team um, about our three key growth areas. For They all kind of came over. A lot of people came over to my house. We had lunch together. It was a great time. And I was able to share a bit of what I felt God placed in my heart for vision for our, our worship ministry team uh, for 2020. And the three things that God revealed to me was that worship is presence, worship is preparation, and worship is perseverance. Wow. Um, and uh, our presence matters um, because the way that I encourage my team to say that we're worship leaders off the platform more than we are on it. And so when we're mm. in the pews, mm. we're actually worship leaders more so than we are up here because, you know, we spend a lot more time, hopefully, if, if we're habitually attending, we'll spend more time there than we do up here. And, and people notice that. And I think presence is, is notice. Presence is, 
is, yeah, it's noticed by people, but also absence, I think, is also noticed. Mm. You know, I think that your lack of presence... And discouraging. And discouraging, absolutely. And if we are an all-age church, you know, which Eliza highlighted this morning with your grandson, you know, that children are watching. They're, they're learning from us mm. as we worship, the way that we engage in corporate worship, the way that we fellowship with one another. Children are learning and, and, and watching. And so when their presence isn't there, they also notice. They, they know that that person's not there. They notice when their friends aren't there in, in Sunday school, in, in our, um, ECC kids, you yeah. know. They notice that side of things. And so that's why I, I just want to really encourage people that that presence is worship. Mm-hmm. But your lack of presence is also worship in terms of that reflection of worth-ship. What mm-hmm. is God worth to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we gather on Sundays, what do, you like, what do you like to see or what do you want to see or hope to see happen for people spiritually? Okay, we're here together. What spiritual transaction, what do you want to see happen in that space for, for us collectively and, to get, and as people? Yeah, it's good. Um, I was uh, inspired by Ben to check out John Piper. He's a big fan of John Piper. and mm-hmm. John Piper's is. a brilliant man. Uh, he's a he brilliant is. mind. And uh, I was drawn to, to this particular quote. John Piper said, If admiration were the highest pleasure and God the most admirable being, would not his beckoning us, even dying, to help us admire him be called love? If admiration is one of the deepest longings of the human heart, and he's the most admirable being, wouldn't he be loving to draw us into that experience to say, admire me if you want to be satisfied? I think that's really profound. Mm. I think that I would love to see us break free from shackles of of fear of the opinion of others, um, to break free from the demands of of convenience culture uh, and have a great desire to want to come, to gather and to find shared joy in admiring the one who's the most admirable, our Lord Jesus and and our God, Um, and to have great confidence in addressing that question, what do I bow to? That's, That's my desire. And how that's worked out, how that's manifested, how that's demonstrated... It's, it's down to the individual level, but at the core of it, it's that. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I look at um, what's happening globally in the church, and I got to worship, which I might talk a little bit about more, when I was in Barcelona. 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 Uh, first thing I did, got off the plane, made my way to church, got straight into worship. You know, habit. After, yeah, it's a habit. I had to find God's people and worship with God, even though it wasn't in my language. Um, I'll talk more about that. And so, um, but... One of the things that impressed me and I see around me is that there is a, currently a tremendous emphasis in the global church about when we gather a part of the emphasis or a significant emphasis is worshipping God in song. It's not that that's an unusual thing in church history when we look at the Wesleys and so forth. But that is a part of the global phenomena. When you go to these places, you know, the, the part that the music component, the part that the singing component uh, holds in the place of a gathered group is very significant. What, what do you make of that? Is that a good thing? You know, where is, where's the evangelistic emphasis? Where's the other things? You know, are, are we missing out on some things, emphasising one thing, shortchanging other things? You know, these are the kind of questions that I ask and I don't have answers to. Yeah, yeah. That's deep. Um, ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, I think it's good. 
I think overall, if you, the big picture side of things, it's good in terms of like those key three things that I mentioned that happen when we corporately gather to worship mm-hmm. are happening at this large scale. I mean, uh, you're aware of the, the send that's happening in Brazil of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people gathering, filling stadiums in these corporate gatherings of worship and praise. I think for that to be happening at a scale of, of thousands, of tens of thousands, is, it's amazing. It's great. Um, I think for people to, at a large scale, to, to acknowledge who God is, you know, to find it, to, to acknowledge his holiness, to, to find deep community, to, to do deep learning of, of, of scripture. If, if those songs are, are communicating scriptural truths, then that's amazing for it to be happening at a, at a scale of thousands. Um, I think it's pretty awesome to see that um, what you're a part of is bigger than the part that you play. I think that, like, you know, uh, people that gather, it's just a natural thing for the people to want to gather and to sing. I think of, of Liverpool FC, these people, are, I don't know if anybody knows football anyways, they all do that, and they all sing this song, You'll Never Walk Alone, and it gathers, it galvanizes this global community uh, that they support this one team. And I think it, it's so great that people can gather in their thousands to, to worship God and to sing together. I think that's really great. But um, I think that in discussions with Ben, um, the Christian life needs to have balance, though. That if these people are just gathering for the sake of, of, of singing a song and, and, and having that just that element there, that's, that's cool. It's good. Those three things are happening. It's good, as I mentioned before. But if it's not um, followed by an action to live out a genuine faith, um, a commitment to prayer... Mm-hmm. A heart for the lost and that evangelistic mm-hmm. arm, a deepening and love and knowledge of the word, mm-hmm. then, you know, what's the difference between that and a, and a, and a regular concert? You know, mm-hmm. the, the Bible says in, in James 2, faith without deeds is dead. Mm-hmm. So I, what I hope for those large gatherings that happen and, and society sort of, there's trends of people yeah. gathering, you know, if yeah. that's happening, then I hope, my hope is that these gatherings go at a deeper level and galvanize a generation to genuinely live out a faith, their faith, and, and a worshipful lifestyle. Hmm. Last question, Josh. If you had to leave one statement hanging in the air for us to consider and take away and wrestle with deeply in our lives, what would that one statement be? Oh, you didn't give me that. Your prep questions. <laughs> I think it, it all comes down to that Francis Chan quote. It's a really deeply... Question, what do I bow to? Mm-hmm. How's that reflected in our lives? And when you can confidently answer that, everything falls into place. You just want to be here. You want to gather. You want to worship God. You want to live out a, a, a genuine life of faith that shows love and compassion to those around you. You want to be a good steward of the gifts that you have. You want to love your neighbor as yourself. I think if you can wrestle and you can, if you keep asking yourself at a daily level, what do I bow to? That core question of what worship puts to us. Um, I'd love for our church to, to keep wrestling with that. And something that I'm, I'm challenged. Yeah, to daily to, wrestle. To mm. daily wrestle. Mm. So that's my thought for you guys. That's my encouragement for you guys that um, don't give up. Be encouraged that gathering here, it's a great thing. It's such a tremendous blessing that we have mm. to, to just be shoulder to shoulder with each other mm. um, and to collectively answer the question, what do we bow to? Mm. Praise God for this guy in our church. What do you think? Thanks, man. Thank All right.
good. I was going to be really brief this morning and just make a couple of observations about our, uh, our reading that we had. So why don't you just grab that Psalm 84, which will have some very familiar uh, words in it. And it was very interesting when I poured myself out of the plane after about 22 hours of being in the air and changing over from this place to that, to hit the ground and to find out that my eldest daughter had sent me a dodgy iPhone 7 whose maps didn't quite work. And then I had to uh, find a train station and then, then hoof it to, um, to, the, to the church that I wanted to go and see. It was a very interesting experience. Um, it did mean that I walked 23,000 steps that day, literally, at least. But it was very interesting to go into a congregation where I was the non-speaker of the local language. I was the person that was struggling with the cross-cultural I had to find the person that had the English sign up like that. So if you spoke English, you could get some help. I was the one that had to wear the translation earphones that could be dialed through on Bluetooth to whatever language you wanted. So I dialed in English. I was the one who could see the Spanish words written up, but also the English words under on the screen. And I was the one who received the message from the platform, but also through the headphones. It was a very interesting experience for me to understand what it's like to be on the other side of the fence of seeking to find and worship God in a language that is not my native tongue. So that was just like uh, part of... I just want to say it's hard. And we need to do everything that we can to make it easy or easier for people. We need to be incredibly welcoming in that space. So I want to talk to you a little bit about this. Obviously, when we're talking about worship, we understand that showing forth the worth of God, like in Romans 12, we know that it is the, a daily sacrifice of our lives. We know that the, our true worship is the way that we live every single day to honour Jesus, to show forth the worth of God, because that's what worship is. That's the amalgam of the word worship. We show forth the worth of God in our lives by everything that we do as an act of worship, but we are restricting our focus in on our gathered services today. So we are just looking at one small slice, but an incredibly important slice of the pie of what it means uh, to worship God. Uh, the Sons of Korah. I read that this psalm was written by the Sons of Korah. It says, For the director of music according to the, uh, to the Giddeth, whatever that is, of the Sons of Korah. And there they are there. So that, it was really interesting. Because I'd heard of the Sons of Korah as a group. And there they are there. So I thought, that can't be the people who wrote the psalm. That, that just doesn't make sense to me at all. I'd heard of this group that goes around singing the psalms called the Sons of Korah, uh, Googled them, uh, realised that they weren't Hebrews of about uh, 10 centuries before Jesus. So uh, who are the Sons of Korah? Very interesting, uh, this. Let me just read to you um, the original Sons of Korah, not the band. A group of Korahites, people from Korah, joined King David in various military exploits and won the reputation of being expert warriors. However, the most remarkable thing to note about the sons of Korah is that during the time of King David, they became great leaders in choral and orchestral music in the tabernacle. 
Heman the Korite had a place of great importance as a singer along with Asaph and Ethan. These individuals played an important role in the thanksgiving services and pageantry when the Ark of the Covenant, you can read the story, it's a wonderful story, was brought to Jerusalem. Uh, David formed an elaborate organisation for song, instrumental worship, music, uh, prophesying through these men. Of all the Psalms in the Bible, 11 are attributed to the sons of Korah. These beautiful Psalms express the spirit of great gratitude and humility uh, to an awesome, mighty God. They express a longing for God and a deep devotion. These poetic songs contain beautiful lines like, As a deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you. Um, other ones like how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord, God is our refuge and strength, and so forth in Psalm 46. So here this group of people were identified and set aside for the purposes of leading God's people in that aspect of their worship. And so we see in verse 2, uh, these, they're, they're exhorting us. They're exhorting us. Look at verse 2. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Friends, how do we cultivate a heart? How do we cultivate a heart that yearns for the living God, faints for the God? Our flesh cries out. How do we cultivate a spirituality that is reflective Of that kind of depth. Because if the truth be told, we fall far short of that. I fall far short of having a heart that is reflected by that. Does Does my soul yearn, even faint for the courts of the Lord? My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Well, how do we do that? How do we develop that? Well, as I reflected on that, and as I reflected on the, the writers of this psalm, the sons of Korah, the leaders of worship, the equivalent of Josh Tan in their particular environment, um, I came across this. I thought that the more they worshipped him, the more they wanted him. The more they worshipped him, the more they wanted him. How true it is in life that the more we do something, the more we tend to want to do something. Uh, We start an exercise program and we feel absolutely vile for about a month. But the more we do it, the more we want it. The more they worshipped him, the more they wanted him. And so that's what I want us to consider today. How do you want to grow that aspect of your life? How do you want to yearn for God? How do you want to... Feed that, that heart and soul. I believe it's the more that we engage with the living God, the more we will want the living God in our life. The more we engage with him, the more we want uh, him. It becomes stronger. You see, what we feed becomes stronger. What we neglect becomes weaker in our lives. Just a truism. What we feed becomes stronger. And what we neglect becomes weaker. Now, obviously, their focus was the tabernacle. Uh, They were keepers of the tabernacle. They were involved in all of that. Uh, And that's why that that, that, that verse 10 makes sense. You know, these people were set aside. They were the keepers of the tabernacle. They were the leaders of the corporate uh, singing and so forth. That's why verse 10 makes sense. Look, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God because that's what they were. 
Here we've got the people who were the doorkeepers in the house of the Lord. Here were the people that that basically took up residence over there. Uh, They'd rather be there than one day, for one day, than spend a thousand days in the courts of the wicked. So as I thought about this and as I tried to bring a more holistic view of what it meant to worship God... I wanted to talk about a three-dimensional aspect of worship, a three-dimensional aspect of worship. And that is our worship needs to be upward. It needs to be focused on God. It needs to admire God. It needs to take Francis Chan's exhortation seriously. It needs to be inward. We need to have an experience of God, letting God's spirit have his way in our lives. And it needs to be outward. It needs to express itself in an outward fashion. So inward, uh, upward and outward. Of course, it has that that aspect of honouring God, to to praise God, to lift him up as we should. Uh, And it's very interesting while we gather together. I have a friend, uh, Matt Destry, who's leading a great church down in Melbourne with his wife Jodie at the moment. And he talked about the gathering together on Sundays is important because he said it's not an end in itself. You know, we gather together, we worship God, we build each other up. But it has a purpose that it needs to express itself outside of that. He said it's like an aircraft hangar, right? The aircraft does a big flight and it comes in and it gets serviced and it gets checked over and everything gets, it gets refueled, it gets restocked, it gets ready to go again on its next journey. But he said this, the aircraft was not built to live in the hangar. And so as we gather here, friends, we're not here built to just be in the hangar. We're here to be refueled. We're here to be tuned up. We're here to be uh, restocked with what we need because planes were designed to fly. Christians are designed to live godly lives out in the world. And so as we gather together, we build each other up. We spur each other on to love and good works. We meditate on the Lord. We pray to the Lord. And a part of this is, is, is a very important aspect, even in its small self. But it has got a bigger aspect that we get refilled to live a dynamic, Christ-filled, influential life out there. Because the number one thing, according to what Josh shared this morning, the number one thing that's going to attract people to Jesus is the life that we live out there. It's the life that we live out there. And we come in here so that we might be built up in the Lord to live the life out there. And so we have that. We have, yes, we come to worship, but we know that we need to be like an aircraft. It's also inward because we have that song, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Melt me, mould me, fill me, use me. A dangerous song to sing. What a dangerous song to sing. It means it's inviting, it's inviting God to do something incredible in your life. Melt me, mould me, fill me and use me. And so, friends, that needs to be our posture, our hearts. As we walk through the door as individuals on Sundays, we go, God, God, do a work in me today. You know, I, please, Lord, I want to be built up, I want to be fueled up and I want to get out there and be a great witness for Jesus. However... I need to be remade more and more into the image of Jesus. I need need to be melted where I'm hard or I'm icy. I need to be moulded. I need to be filled again and refueled. And I need to be used by God.
So there's an, and there's an inward aspect. There's a, an adoration aspect, an inward aspect, and of course the outward aspect that we come here, as Josh has reminded us from Hebrew 10, what are we to do? We are to love each other. We are to be habitually in each other's presence and we are to build each other up. We are to spur each other on to love and good works. Because, friends, in this hard world and hard life, we need a bit of encouragement. We should gather to encourage each other. Because I think life can be pretty discouraging. And we need spurring on because sometimes we feel pretty flat. We feel pretty defeated. We need somebody to get beside us and say, come on, giddy up. Come on, you can do it. Come on, let's go. Encourage each other on, spur each other on to love and to good works. To love and to good works. And so we find a three-dimensional aspect is, is upward, inward and outward. And I love the little illustrations that we have in this and I'll conclude with this illustration. Look at verse 3 and verse 4. Even the sparrow has found a home and a swallow a nest for herself where she will have her young, a place near the altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. I love this little illustration here because here in this tabernacle, which was of course the collapsible tent that wandered around in the desert with them, wasn't the temple, they were leaders of the tabernacle, which was just the tent before King Solomon made the, uh, uh, the temple. There we see the little sparrow. And notice the thing, the sparrow or the swallow is not alone. Got a nest for yourselves. There's no more important thing in this church that we be a nest for our children and our grandchildren to love the Lord here, to find a safe place here, to come along, to gather, to plant our families here and to love them so that they grow up in the love and knowledge of the Lord. And so as we gather together as the temple of the living God, because that's what we are gathered together, this is a rain shelter. You are the temple of the living God. This keeps the rain and the weather away. Praise God for it. But it is not the church. The church is sitting in the pews right in front of me. We are the living God. We are the temple. We are the living stones built up into the living house of the Lord. And as we gather together, may, may we plant families here. May like sparrows that find their place, may families find their place in here. May they be strengthened. Look at verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Verse 7. They go from strength to strength. May we go from strength to strength. May we have a heart that's set on pilgrimage, going through this world, through this life, worshipping God. And may we have in our hearts springs of living water, verse 6, as they pass through the valley of Baca, which research says is a dry and dirty, dusty place. May they make it a place of springs. Autumn rains also cover it with pools. May wherever we go, may we bring life-giving water and freshness. So let us gather together to worship God. Let us be habitual in that. Let us build each other up. Let us have three-dimensional worship as we gather together to hear the Master's voice. And as we do that more, I believe that we will start to develop hearts that yearn after, cry out for, and have flesh that cries out for the living God. 
Heavenly Father, we just pray that you would birth more and more of that heart in each one of us. And as a collective group, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.